What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Should Thank we do, do some fat loss? Yeah, absolutely. That's usually All the right. question anyway. Let's do some fat loss. So I, I phrased this as aggressive, but I think I want to change my phrasing here over to intensive. So let's call it an yeah. intensive fat loss in women, something like a contest prep. So we'll kind of zoom through most of the contest prep up to that six-week out mark where things kind of really get hard and, and you yeah. start to struggle there. What are the special manipulations? Because the, the physiology and the psychology of it is very different between men and women. So what right. are the special manipulations that should be paid attention to in women versus men when we're trying to get that last bit of, of body yeah. fat off? Well, so, so for background, right, we know that as people diet and lose fat, the body adapts in a number of ways. Slows metabolic rate, energy expenditure, you're smaller. The deficit starts to shrink. Like the body is fighting back. Because in a very real way, dieting is just starvation on a longer time scale. To the, to the human body, there is no distinguishable difference just about how long it takes. There is women's bodies fight back more than men's and fight back harder and frequently faster. And there's actually, there's some really, there's good biology behind this. The basic premise, this will sound so much like pandering, but it's not, right? Women are much more likely to, to survive a famine than men, for example. They start with more body fat, they lose women's bodies, spare body fat loss, et cetera, et cetera. And the general idea is that to a very real degree, women were responsible for the survival of the human race, right? Because once, once you have a kid, right, basically everything, I mean, yes. Does it help if the father is around? Absolutely. Well, it can. It depends. I guess it depends on the father. But without getting into that, however, he's not required in either a bio, in any sense, right? And in a very real sense, if there's insufficient food available, once he's done his job, tiny as it is, which is to provide genetic, a genetic packet with fructose, as we talked about before we turned on the recording, <laughs> If he were to die, that actually is better because it leaves more resources for the mother and the baby, right? In a very, in a very real sense, it's best for him to die sooner. Better off without you. Yeah, and, if, and like I said, this sounds like panic, but this is from a biological standpoint because you know we know that most infant deaths, if they make it to five, they're very likely to survive. Most infant deaths happen before that, and. You know, her, her entire, even, it's really even interesting, even if women are starving when they're breastfeeding, their body will find a way to make milk. Like even if it basically essentially depletes them of their nutrients, making sure that the child survives is the primary goal because that's what keeps humanity going. 
But because of that, the consequence of all this is that, like I said, this is just the biology behind. And there's, I don't want to get deeply into the physiology of why, because nobody cares. It's in the book if you really want to get into it. And, but just that whole system is adapting differently and being impacted differently, both in terms of metabolics and also appetite. So as we get closer to diet, right? So if you look back at my early stuff when I talked about refeeds or eating at maintenance, right? Going to high, basically, the idea with that is if you're in a deficit, the body is sensing it hormonally and adapting. It's telling the brain, we're starving to death. Slow things down to try to keep you alive until food is, it's making you hungry. It's making all these things happen. By bringing calories to maintenance every so often, the the hope is that the brain will go, oh, there's food available. You can stop adapting. Now, early, early on, 2004, when I knew even slightly less than I do now, or slightly more, whatever, I was like, okay, I, I, I scheduled those days depending on body fat percentage, size of deficit. This all kind of went into that. And I also was like, okay, I, I offered very different durations, five hours, 20, one day, two days. And several years later, I started thinking about it. And I was like, I don't know if one day I'll get it done, right? We know that when you start a diet, it takes three or four days before hunger goes up, before metabolic rate goes down. I don't know that one day will be enough, right? You still see people going, oh, yeah, I have a, I have a cheat meal to reset my metabolism. Bad news. One meal doesn't matter to the human body. It never did. Metabolic rate doesn't slow down if you miss a meal and doesn't go back up. So... I started thinking you probably need at least two days. For women, I would say the big differences are that that has to be implemented more frequently than in men because their bodies are adapting or are sensing this, this deficit and adapting harder. Either they might need more maintenance days during the week. So whereas a man might only need one or two, a woman might need three taking that full diet break. And a full diet break means you bring your calories up to maintenance for anywhere from seven to 14 days, right? And that's actually finally being studied. And they're like, oh yeah, it works. Um, again, oh really? Uh, sorry. I, I just, it, I, I'm, I'm both smug about it and annoyed because I'm like, now more, most people have made more money off the concept of flexible eating than I ever will. Somebody even plagiarized that book and made more money off of it than I ever did or, or ever will probably, but neither here nor there. And so that those would be the is they might need the full diet break a little bit more frequently, whereas a guy might go eight weeks, a woman might need it every six. Same thing with in, in she might need to raise calories to maintenance, not only earlier in the diet, but slightly more frequently during the week. Right now, this starts to run into problems because if you're shooting for a weekly deficit of so much, if you have three maintenance days, we have to make the diet days a little bit harder. The other thing I would add to that, right, if you remember several years ago, maybe longer than that, there's this big, and even now there's this big thing like, oh my God, don't, don't do two hours of cardio and metabolic damage and slowdown and all this other stuff. And I'm like, A, anyone who talks in absolutes needs to be taken out and shot. But B, well, you can't speak of it in those terms, right? Now, yeah, do I disagree with women jumping into 800 calories a day and two hours of cardio? Absolutely, don't do that. That will, a woman can actually start to drop her thyroid and metabolic rate within five days of doing that. This is how quickly a woman's body can do it. However, say a woman has started at whatever, 1500 calories, 
brings in some light cardio. It is now 12 weeks later. They're four to six weeks out from contest. Everything is slowing down, right? Women have less calories to work with than men because they're smaller, right? Dude at 180 might have 2,200, 2,500 calories to work with. He can bring his calories down by 100. A woman who's 1,400, 1,500, she only eats so little food, right? There is a limit, and they can wake up poverty calories. Yep. Calories can only drop so far. And ideally, you know, you start, what is it? The idea is to start dieting, eating the maximum number of calories you can without eating fat. Like you want to start from, but even so, a small woman competing who's shooting for, you know, 118 pounds on stage or lower just doesn't have any calories to work with unless they're doing a staggering amount of training. Once you can't lower food intake, what's left? Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying jump into two hours of cardio. However, if it's been brought up gradually, it won't be as physiological stress to the body in the same way. And the reality is she might have to, right? Like it's, it's kind of, there's this other concept called energy availability that ties in with this. And, and you can think of that as it's, it's calorie intake minus exercise calorie expenditure divided by lean body mass. And you can think of it as the number of calories that are left to the body after exercise, right? To support brain function, kidney function, heart, all, all the biological required things. Research very many years ago showed that when it drops below a certain level, that's when women's bodies start to shut down. That's when menstrual cycle dysfunction can start, eventually leading to the loss of their period, bone mineral, because big picture, being able to have a child is not critical when you're starving to death. In fact, it's probably detrimental. Maintaining that is not critical to, to living, keeping your brain functioning and your heart pumping is. Now that happens in men too, right? What happens to men at the end of contest prep naturally? Even if they wanted to have sex, they physiologically couldn't. Men will end up with castrate testosterone levels. However, it looks like, whereas women's, if women's energy availability falls below about 30 calories per kilogram, for men, it's like 15 to 20. Men's bodies are much more resistant to this. Because again, guys' bodies are simple, right? Our reproductive system is not nearly as complex as women's on any state because we've got that one small task we have to accomplish to make a baby. So there was an old idea going, women should never, never go below that level during contest diet. I wish they didn't have to, but the end of it, there's no choice because there's no, there's simply no way to maintain a deficit at that level of body at 12% body fat to get to 10. It cannot be done without crossing that threshold at some point. Now the goal should be to cross it as late as possible by starting with, you know, there's a case study that's in my women's book. The woman started at 30. She started her diet at 30. Within a month, she'd lost her period. She lost for five straight months. She had no period. She then reverse dieted. I don't know if we get into that. It took her six months to get her period back yeah. because she brought her calories up so slowly. And this, I know the last question, Trexler's paper and stuff about body fat regain is, whereas several other case studies, they started at a much higher, they didn't cross the threshold to the last month. Lost her period for a month, brought their calories back up, got it back in a month. So the ideal is not to cross that level by doing too much cardio and too few calories to do it as late as humanly. Like I would love for women to not have to, but it's very unrealistic. 
So that's the thing. At the end, you might have to put in maintenance days. You might have to be doing a little bit more cardio to offset just to keep the deficit going. If you've got time, and this is always the difficulty with those full diet breaks, right? Contest prep is long enough right now as it is, right? Now, dr drug users can get by in 12 weeks, right? That was one of the most damaging things that came out of 80s bodybuilding. Yeah, I do a 10 to 12 week prep, gain muscle while I'm doing it. Yeah, because you change your drugs. <laughs> with enough thyroid, clen, and growth hormone, you can absolutely pull that off, especially when you're starting at 12% body fat. Naturals tried it and didn't get anywhere close. And that's why it goes to what we were talking about, learning how to diet. If, or if they did, they had to do such an extreme thing they lost too much muscle. Now guys start like six months out and diet so great because they have to. That's the only way to get the contest shape. But even then, women run into problems at the tail end. So said, might it? But if it's already a six-month dieting prep, do you really have time to add another week or two? You might have to start even a month early to, to factor that in, especially because fat loss, if you get, and if you get a little bit behind, which happens for various reasons, now you're really in trouble. Like if you fall a week behind because you didn't lose the, the fat you needed to because women may be losing, you know, a pound a week or less towards the end, even though they have less to lose, like now what? You don't have time to put a week break in, no matter what good it would do. So maybe you do more, add, you know, have three days of maintenance, have four hard dieting days, three days of maintenance, add extra cardio and hope for the best or pick another contest because you're not going to make it, right? I see that online. You probably get this a lot, Paul. People put up their contest and they're like, yeah, I'm 12 weeks out. And you just look at the pictures and go, I got bad news for you. And they're <laughs> like, but, but they told me I was 15% on some women's forum. They're lying. I got bad news for you. You are not going to make this show no matter what. Well, it would DP, but you're not going to make this show. And you need to accept that. And I'm sorry you got lied to. Sorry they told you you were 20% when you were 30. Sorry they told you you were 15 when you're still 20. You are not going to make it. And it happens. Men do it too. Men think they're 15% and they're 22 and get into trouble, but that's not the topic of this. So, so yeah, you know, I, I even another possibility, which almost goes the other direction. You throw in like two rapid fat where you just take calories as low as humanly possible. That's really when you get behind. And I know I talked to, to Eric Helms about this several years ago, and he said that it works in men, but in women, it typically backfires for whatever, just because it may cause more problems than it solves. But yeah, you lose that extra couple of pounds, but coming out of it, now you're, everything's so tanked that you may, you know, now if you've got the time, do a two week rapid fat loss, take seven days at maintenance, and then just power through it. That might get you there if you've got the time. That's what I was going to say. If, if you're someone who's trying to avoid that extensively long seven, eight, nine, ten month dieting phase, does it make sense to go faster when you're dieting and then take it nice and easy on the diet breaks? Or do you still recommend more of kind of like an extrapolated or protracted approach where you just go, go nice and slow and steady and then take your breaks as planned? I think both are possible, right? And even, even once again, one thing I talked about, you know, with Eric years ago was, if you're going to go faster, do it earlier in the diet. 
right? When, because a lot of this metabolic slowdown thing, it de depends very much on starting point. When you're carrying a lot of body fat, this is a minimal issue. When you're at 12% trying to get to 10, it is a staggering issue. So the time to, to sort of speed things up is probably in the beginning. With, and, but the, the key thing, and the reason I'm usually frequently hesitant to recommend this is people love women more so than men. They love the hard diet thing. And unless they're being coached, getting them to take the break is the issue, right? Now, if they're going to do that, absolutely. If you want to diet a little harder for shorter, but put in, and even with the, the full diet breaks and, and everything I've written, and this is in the, is how often you take those depends on starting body fat percentage and how steep the deficit is. If you're using a very mild deficit, shooting for half pound to one pound a week, you might only need it every eight weeks at a relatively lean body fat. If you want to go a little bit harder, you might need to take a break every fourth week. If you want to go even harder, you might have to go two weeks on, two weeks off. Now we then get into the question of, well, is it really happening faster? Are you really, if you go eight weeks in a break or six weeks in a break, it's eight weeks. If you go two and two and two and two, it's still eight weeks and you may have lost the same amount of body fat. That might get into the individual psychology. That may get some people just like dieting harder. Same token, and I think it might have been Jeff Albers, someone mentioned they're, they're, you know, as big as I am on diet breaks and, and maintenance calorie days or refeeds, whatever you want to call them. I know there's a very successful male bodybuilder who's like, I don't use them. I tried them, but for me, they did more harm than good. Because for some people, there's a switch that flips. Yeah. And when you're dieting, you're dieting. And maintenance is often harder than dieting for people because it's just such a nebulous goal. <laughs> Gaining weight is easy. Dieting is easy. Eh, maintenance, eh. And if you've got someone who, if they do a refeed or do a maintenance day, many people find it harder to go back to dieting. Others find it easier. That's a very, people clearly got into shape before any of this stuff. I think they work, make the diet work better. But they're certainly not mandatory. Something I, I've noticed in practice, and I think most of us have, uh, with people that can handle doing these, whether yeah. it's two or three days or a week long, is a lot of times it, it can clear up the picture. And you'll notice yeah. after a day or two of higher calories or a week at maintenance that you'll see a big drop off in body weight. And that's actually something really worth addressing briefly, right, is the stalls phenomenon. The, I've been dieting and three weeks later, nothing's happened. Women's bodies often, just for the other reasons, are more prone to holding water, right? And you get in that situation, you're like, I'm doing everything right. You check their calories, you check their activity, nothing's moving. And women not only physically stress themselves, dietarily stress themselves, they often mentally stress themselves. Let's, I mean, all dieters are a little bit neurotic, but there are, you know, there are, it, dieting is what they call a psychogenic stress. And some women can mentally stress themselves into losing their menstrual cycle, right? You cannot just, and there's a certain personality that's a little, one little tight, and they tend to be very rigid in terms of their diet. They're already starting with 10% higher cortisol levels. And I think this, some people don't think it's related to cortisol. It doesn't matter. It happens. There's a certain personality with a certain diet and a certain activity pattern that holds water like crazy. And I know, again, when I talked to Eric, we talked. he said, bring calories to maintenance because it, it shuts down that hormonal cascade. Albeit briefly, he's seen less water retention. He's seen less. And same thing. You bring calories up for a couple of three days. And I, even, I talked about that in, in the women's book about, okay, 
you know? Well, they used to be called the water flush way back in the day. It's like, oh, if you're holding water, triple your water for three days. Like power lifters or weight class athletes do. Offset all the whatever, aldosterone, vasopressin, whatever the mechanism, drop it down. Frequently people would see their water weight would drop. I've seen it happen with carb loads, with maintenance days. You bring carbs up, insulin goes up, cortisol goes down, all that hormonal nonsense reverses itself. Some people will wake up leaner. Now, if you overdo it, some people wake up fluffier with more water. If you really want somebody to suffer, give them a dry refeed where you overfeed them with carbs without, because it makes you thirsty as hell without a lot of fluid. Because it, what that seems to do is pull muscle in, right? Muscle will follow the gradient. Water will go onto the muscle. It'll look really full and it'll hopefully add on skin. But it sucks because you're thirsty all the time. So that those are all, but yeah, to your point, frequently you bring calories up for two or three days, boom, things just snap into place. Um, and then you can go right back to that. Because it does, it gets really frustrating. You're like, I'm doing everything right. It's been three weeks and F this, man. Um, and ultimately as a coach, it becomes so valuable because a lot of us look at numbers and getting people to send check-in photos can be a pain in the ass sometimes. And Sure. <laughs> And, and that is, I mean, ultimately for physique competitions, as much as we get hung up on numbers, the judges aren't going to check your body fat. And, and, and I mean, yeah, I think, still think it's useful to keep track of skin fold drops, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, those numbers don't matter any more than your bench press numbers matter. It's not a performance sport. It's an appearance. And as a coach, you are looking at their appearance and you cannot gauge that well. And I mean, and it does like, yeah, I mean, I knew a competitor years ago. He would cut sodium out 12 weeks because he didn't want to retain water. 12 weeks after the show, you know, okay, that's rational. Because all water retention only matters. Yeah. Water retention only matters on contest day. And there's even good reason. I know there's some coaches that are like, keeping sodium potassium higher probably has benefits during a diet. Oh, yeah. You know, even even back to the drug thing, Duchesne recommended years ago. Because everyone's like, oh, I got to switch from the heavy androgens. Because the water retention, dude, two weeks out is all that you need. And he even paused it. He's like, and I think Broderick and I talked about this. Keep the heavy androgens. Because when you switch to non-androgens, you lose muscle mass. It's like, no, keep the heavy androgens until two weeks out. Then you switch. And then you use Lasix the day before, if you're Dan Duchesne. And, but the point of this all being that even so, if the water retention is keeping you from really being able to visually assess your competitor, then you need... but. But, but to me, that just means that those two days or three days of maintenance has nothing but benefits. Hopefully, it'll offset some of the metabolic adaptation. You refill muscle glycogen so that you can train more efficiently going into it. Probably feel better psychologically because you've gotten to actually eat for at least a couple of three days while you starve yourself into submission. And if it helps making you not embarrassed to send your coach photos so he can assess you, like everybody wins. Now, how about women in more we'll call it body composition intense divisions. So going from wow. like an NPC bikini competitor who's on stage at 14, 15% body fat to a women's physique competitor who is pushing the lower limits of what's physiologically possible for women. Are there it, different I, strategies, more time? What's, what's the difference here? It's here we're looking at probably qualitative more than severely quantitative. It's just a matter of degrees, right? This is all just a... A continuum. So if we drew it from 10% body fat to say 
right? Which is the human range. We occasionally see higher. Someone at 50% body fat doesn't need a refeed, doesn't need a full diet break for maybe 12 to 16 weeks, right? And that's more, to me, that's probably more psychological than anything. Just like it breaks the dieting up into real, like to tell someone you got to diet for two years straight, no way. It's impossible to, but it's like, ah, I mean, you might do a maintenance day because, hey, look, anybody can diet for three days and you could eat normally. Anybody can diet for 12 and then you get to have a couple weeks off. Also helps them learn maintenance. Once you get to, say, 25 to 30% body fat, you might only you might want to refeed every 10 to 12 weeks, right? It's getting a little bit harder. Once you get to sub 20%, between 15 and 20, might be every six to eight weeks. And you might need two maintenance days, right? You may need one maintenance day between 20 and 30%. Then you need two from 15 to 20. And you need three from 10 to 50. So it's really just a matter of, of degrees. And the more extreme you have to get to bring the body, the body just fights back harder and harder and harder as you get lean. Now, some people are just lucky. And I just touch on this briefly as we get to the last question. Right, because you look at a lot of top competitors and they're like, I don't do any of this. And I get into shape. Well, that's interesting, but it's it's what we can call what we call the survivor effect. You got to stage. Let's talk about the 99% who didn't. Because I don't right, it's like Bulgarian Olympic lifting. Did they generate world beaters? Sure. They broke 65 out of 66 athletes. I don't care about the guy who made it. I care about the 65 who didn't, because that tells me about the system. There's been, we've known this for years, there is a huge individual variance in how much and how little the, any given person's body adapts to dieting. Paper just came out. One group of women saw a drop in, of over 100 calories in the first week. The others didn't. The women that showed the biggest drop lost the least fat because of course they did. I've seen two case studies of women, their metabolic rate dropped by 500 calories a day right off the bat, which completely offset their deficit. Now these were, the, the, it's a group of researchers that have done this for 40 years. They've seen it twice, right? Not saying that's common. However, there, even in the, the Minnesota study that I want to get into, even at the extremes, there's like a 500 calorie difference between any two men. But the people who are genetically lucky, and it is genetic, don't know it. All they know is, well, this worked for me. I dieted rigidly and I got to contest, right? And every other woman I've heard from cracked and has an eating disorder now. So I don't get, I don't care. So some women can get away with not needing it. And they're the ones that, they're the, they're the easy clients. They will just lose fat at a continuous rate. Like I knew a competitor years ago and I taught, she didn't, she didn't count calories. She didn't count macros. She knew where to start. She'd been doing it for about 10 years. She's like, yeah, every week I reduce my food intake by, you know, that much. And if I sat and mathed it out, it was probably about a hundred calories every week or two. And you look at the average drop in metabolic rate, it's about 100 calories, and she'd add 10 more minutes of cardio. And I'm like, yeah, you, you're experienced enough that you can just adjust it on the fly and adjust it based on what you're seeing. You know how, but that's, that's experienced competitors. So these are all averages. If you've got someone who's just leaning out, doesn't hold water, fantastic. And if you've got a woman that comes up against a wall and she's not underestimating calories or what, because it happens even in elite competitors, right? You might need this stuff or you might throw it in proactively because unless it kicks them off their diet, it probably won't hurt. And it will probably, I think the benefits generally outweigh the, the drawbacks for most people. 
And I wonder how many people at the top end of the sport, like you said, that succeed completely in spite of themselves. Oh, because sure. Cam recently was coaching Shanique Grant, no longer coaching her Miss Olympia. And this is <laughs> a girl who Paul, Paul also joined along. Um, this is a girl who had, you know, never tracked her calories, yeah. uh, only had ever run a meal plan, knew nothing about training, knew yep. nothing about supplements. And, it, and it's just mind-blowing that someone can get away with that. But that's the person that you see online that's like, oh, well, you know, I do it this way and it works for me. Sure. I met, coming back from the Arnold one year, I ended up sitting next to one of the, the booth girls. And, you know, me, dumbass, am I going to try to hit on her? No, I want to talk shop. Cause I'm just like, that's just me. Right. I meet someone, you know, Oh, you're in exercise physiology. I want to talk. They're like, I'm at a bar. Don't go away. I'm like, okay. <laughs> anyway. And I was just like, yeah. So, you know, what do you do? She's in perfect shape. She's like, eh, lift weights every once in a while, do cardio a couple times a week, like genetics, especially in physique, I think more so than in any other sport, genetics, Trump, literally everything. And we're even finding like, this is just getting back to the exercise science and the problems with this. Within a few years, we are going to realize that every study that's been done today was not measuring what it thought it was measuring, right? They think we're measuring manipulations and sets and reps and because when you look at the data, right? Here's low volume, here's moderate, here's high. And the, 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 the variance, right? You'll have guys that lose muscle on high volumes. You'll see guys that gain more muscle on moderate than high. But we report averages in science. And of course, and all it takes is one huge outlier to make it look like 45 sets per week was best. All you need is one guy to gain. And you look at the numbers, you're like, he gained twice as much muscle as everybody else. Somebody well, sorry. <laughs> it's not the training. And what studies are now starting to look at is, oh, there are hyper-responders to training related to things like the ability to make what are called ribosomes that synthesize proteins from messenger RNA. Mitochondrial function, believe it or not. Maybe Perillo was right. Maybe cardio was a good thing for muscle gain. Don't know. Fiber typing, hormone levels. So what they're doing now is not comparing individual to individual because now are we seeing a true, is it the workout? Or did we just happen to pick one low and one high responder? And it doesn't help that, you know, each group has seven people. <laughs> Correct. You know, 12 people is big. And, and I've heard rumors that occasionally researchers were supposed to randomize who goes into which group. Well, bring the people in and go, ah, he's already kind of big. Put him in that group. Well, you've just, you've just selected a hyper-responder. Because we know that, right? We know the guy that goes to the gym and just grows no matter what he does. We know the guy that trains his absolute ass off and gets nowhere. And you look at what they're doing, you know. So what they're starting to do now is, oh, we're going to take either, they've done one or, like, I think a twin study, which is fascinating. Although even it showed a bigger difference. That was a different thing. But they're like, okay, we're going to take one person in. We're going to train their right quad one way and their left quad another way. Let's not see how they respond compared to their someone else. Let's see how they respond compared to themselves. And what the several studies that have done on this have found is, even if there's a difference between lower and moderate and higher volume, the people who respond well respond well to everything, and the people who respond poorly respond poor to everything. And that's what we're going to discover down the road is all these studies comparing people are not comparing the different types of training. It's comparing who is and who is not a hyper-responder. That's my prediction. And we realized that all this research was a load of crap, that it didn't actually say, on top of all the other reasons, it's problematic. 
Um, but yeah, so that's just it. And unfortunately, most of the advice about training, diet, nutrition, or anything else comes either from the genetically elite who never really had to think that hard. And I'm not saying this is universally true. Certainly there are people that are like, yeah, I was a scrawny hunter and I usually some of the best coaches are the most mediocre athletes because they're the ones that have to figure out, you know, and that's just it. You show me somebody who was 180 when they were in high school and muscular and they're 210, I'm not impressed. She's somebody that had great calves when they were young, not impressed. You show me someone who went from having zero calves to calves, that's who you want. You don't want to see the guy at the top. You want to see the guy who started poorly and got there because, but that's where, where do we look for advice? The top. In every sport, the current training fad will be whatever the, the current world champion is doing. Yeah. When Orion was champion. The, yeah, go ahead. It's the story of Tom Platts about his quads. He was giving sure. a seminar and someone asked him, how'd you grow your quads so big? And he yeah. said, my, my, I was born like this. My legs just... I just yeah. trained them and they grew like this. He's like, this, that's not the question you should be asking me right. because that was easy for me. You should have <laughs> asked me how I grew my upper body. Correct. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, when Dorian was the Olympia, everyone did HIT. And when Arnold was the Olympia, we all did volume. And when you look at it, it's like probably neither of those things. It was genetics plus Dorian was bigger than Arnold because he took more drugs. And uh, not, I mean, not to, Dorian trained like a monster and he was a beast of a man. And when I mean, you look at him, he started as a little skinny punker. Right. He was like, whatever. I don't know if chavs were a term back then, but he was like a little skinny UK, you know, gang. And he turned into. But again, you look at Kevin Lavrone, those pictures of him on and off drugs. He doesn't even look like he trains without them. And even there, like uh, Dr. Scott Stevenson, I know, big into this. Some people are hyper responders to drugs. They blow up. And more importantly, they don't get side effects. I know Broderick's talked about that. Yeah, we that's, talked about that yeah. with Broderick. And that's a huge key to being successful. You know, and even, and again, I talked to some coaches about this. And like at the lower levels of bodybuilding, you don't have to have perfect genetics. But when you get to the top, and this is true of any sport, everybody trains as hard as you. Everybody eats the same. And if you don't have the muscle bellies, if you don't have the symmetry, you're never going to. And you're never, ever going to reach the top, no matter your work ethic. Even 600 milligram, maybe synthol, maybe a synthol work ethic will do it. But if you don't have that muscle group, you're never going to, and you're never going to reach the top. And that's just yeah. the reality of it. It's very true. Now, now, when we come out of the diet, yeah. talking about coming out of like a contest prep diet, when we're dealing with, let's say, a male who pushed the, the physiological limits of low body fat, we'll say he was somewhere between that 4 to 5%. Woman, right. same thing, 9 to 10%. Are there special considerations for the woman as she exits that diet when compared to the men? Because you hear horror stories from women transitioning out of contest preps a lot more than you do for men. Uh, well, define, what do you mean by horror stories? You mean just rapid or fat gain, weight gain, mental issues, all of the above? D, all of the above. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's, we have to, you know, keep, certainly the psychology of this can never be ignored, right? And, and most of my career, I really, the physiology interested me and I couldn't really be bothered, but you can't, you can't ignore that. And there is frequently a sex-based difference between those. Some of it is cultural. Some of it is probably physiological. Let's face the realities that... <laughs> As horrible as this sounds, but there's truth to it. To be a successful bodybuilder, 
it almost helps to have an eating disorder, at least, even if it's just subclinical. And I don't mean that to even remotely downplay how horrific eating disorders can be. Please don't hear me saying that. However, it's true of most sports that you have, you know, to be a runner and it's even been proposed. They're like, oh, running causes these certain changes to the body. It causes these eating issues. It's like, or maybe being born with that helps you starve enough to be light enough to be a runner, right? It's hard cause and effect. And I mean, let's face it, to diet yourself down to that level, you got to be not more than a little nuts. It, it's hard to do that on just pure sheer dint of will. I know it can be done. So yeah, we've got that issue. Uh, I know the original, now in a, in a purely physiological issue, I would say, no, it does not matter in the sense that, right? And I don't, I could probably rant for a really long time about reverse dieting and all of that. I'll only touch on it briefly. Even back in the day, right? And it, well, one of the early metabolic repair manuals, and it's not written by who you think it is, and I'll be nice and not mention them. They were like, oh, I've seen all this metabolic damage in women who do powerlifting routines. They know what that meant. And they're like, the first two weeks, bring calories up slightly. You don't want to get water retention. And I'm like, look, keeping them in a diet for six more weeks isn't going to fix anything. None of this is going to return it, is going to reverse itself till calories come to maintenance or at least clear that energy availability threshold and you regain the body fat, right? And there's sort of a classic, there's a case study that was done on a male bodybuilder several years ago and they tracked him from 12, 14% to five and his metabolic rate went down and down and down and his testosterone and all everything went, went kerflui. Technical term, and um, then he ate himself back up, and he ended at fourteen percent body fat, and he was right back to where he started. All right, assuming so. The the whole idea with reverse dieting, this idea that you bring in calories very gradually, is oh, you know, you don't want to get fat. I have news for you: you have to get fat again. Period. You and I'm not saying now. Let me. You have to get fatter again, right? You don't. I'm not saying you started at twenty two percent and end at thirty. However, your system will never get back to normal until you've gotten at least close because and it gets into leptin and all the hormonal physiology. But this is true for both women and men. Until a guy at 4% is not going to see any major improvements till he's at least at maintenance and his body fat starts to come up to normal. Same thing for a woman. And actually, in this regard, I want to go back to something I talked about, the low energy availability thing, right? It's hard for women to prevent menstrual cycle dysfunction while they're dieting, but they might, they can do it if there are calories. And there's a great case study, Trent Stellingworth, worth, worth, whatever. He tracked this elite runner over nine years and measured her every year for everything. And what she would do, she would stay about 14% body fat year round, which is lean, but she's a runner. Two months out, she would diet down, stay 10% for three months, and then she would go right back. She would have a very short-term menstrual cycle dysfunction. Her bone mineral density was fine. She never got hurt. She's able to train effectively because she only did it for short. And that's that's a mistake. There's this idea of, oh, I want to stay contest lean year-round. On drugs, it can be done because you're replacing your normal hormone levels. It cannot be done safely by a natural. If a woman wants to stay at 15, 16%, as long as she's eating enough calories, might be workable. But... We also run, and I will get, I will cycle back. But if she wants to eventually gain more muscle and try to improve for the next year, 
she's not going to do that at 16%. Her hormones won't be optimal. She can't eat enough calories. You know, she's got to come back up to 20, 22%, which is a low range. Everything's kind of optimized. And, you know, get a little fluffy in the off season. A little bit, not a tremendous amount. But calories ideally should come to maintenance as quickly as possible. Now, in, a, in an ideal world, you would do it in a day. However, this has to be balanced between, A, yeah, there's huge water retention. We've heard the horror stories, bodybuilders gaining 40 pounds in a month, although that's always depleted big pros, right? Yeah, right? You know, you take a guy that dieted down, and he's 10 pounds depleted water going into the show, and, like, I've seen the post-contest pancake binges. I've, I've been there. I, I got talked into judging a show once. You know when people go, what are you doing on Saturday? And they usually want you to move, help them move. But he was like, what are you doing on Saturday? I'm like, nothing. Well, I guess, want to judge a bodybuilding show with me? <laughs> no, not really, but I will. Oh, it was awesome. But anyway, we went to the pancake IHOP afterwards and just saw the bodybuilders eating the world. So there are some people that go, you know, the problem with raising calories too quickly is many people just lose the plot. And they lose control of their eating completely. Their water weight rebounds enormously. That can be very psychologically damaging. You're not going to reverse the hormonal stuff in a few days, right? So if it's better to take a couple of weeks to sort of transition out. Of course, this always this also assumes that it can be done. People are literally starving to death, right? Food porn is what they call it. People go on Instagram and just go, they look at food. Because that is now their their sexual gratification. All you care, you know, in, in the Minnesota study, the men towards the end, they starved them down to 5%. Talk about how, man, when I get out, here's what I'm going to eat. Man, we should open a restaurant. That's what we should. They were so <laughs> obsessed with food. And there's a brain chemical that uh, causes this. The favorite early study, they took a rat and injected it into the brain, male rat, and they offered it sugar water or female rat that was receptive to sex. Dude took the sugar water. That's how potent this is, right? And I won't make my normally inappropriate follow-up comment to that. And um, I don't know what your listenership is. I don't know how offensive I should be. But anyway, so, so assuming that they can even control calories coming up like that in the first place, which I think is debatable. However, I would take no more than two weeks to get calories to maintenance. New estimated maintenance. Because again, whether you get fat over six months or two months, you've got to regain the body fat. And I, this whole idea of, oh, do it slowly so you don't get, well, you got to get fat again. You do. And the faster you do it, and this is where it is different, women's systems are far more damaged by all of this. And I do mean fit, they can lose bone mineral density that may be hard to recover. Men don't suffer this. They suffer short-term impotence and short-term hypogonadism, and it sucks, but there is no potentially permanent damage. In that sense, for women, it is more important to get things back to normal as quickly as possible without having them totally lose control. Yeah. Um, and then I guess I know you had his... Oh, go ahead. Your mic. Yeah, your mic is really quiet. Oh, uh, what about now? There you go. Yeah, now you're good. What were you saying? Didn't have told him. Um, <laughs> no, one of the, the questions when y'all sent me the original emails was um, uh, you mentioned Bill Campbell, and I had to go look him yeah. up because I don't, I don't, you know, 
his assertion that women regain, because it's I think it's a topic worth addressing at least briefly, women regain more body fat post-contest than men. And the rationale was, so women can actually get into contest shape without muscle loss much more easily than men if they diet properly, by which I mean enough protein and heavy resistance training. That's really what this comes down to. Everything else is details. When, and there are some of those case studies, the women lost negligible amounts. If they lost any, they lost negligible amounts of muscle mass. Men, once they get below 10%, it is a struggle. And, and I genuinely think that this is a, well, there's two reasons this happens in women. One is hormonal. Estrogen has many beneficial effects in women's bodies and men's and decreases protein breakdown. And I maintain, I've discussed this with Brodix, I've discussed this with Broderick and Alex Kickle, Keikel, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, about, I think part of the reason testosterone has so many benefits in men is due to the conversion to estrogen. But if you give men an estrogen patch, they will use less protein during exercise. That, but also because they're at a higher body fat percentage. I think if you looked at men and women going from 20 to 10%, you will see basically the identical effect. Men then go from 10 to 5 and that's where their hormones, you know, crap the bed and everything. So I think Campbell's premise is when they're coming back, so let's say a woman and a man are both gaining one pound per week. The woman will be gaining one pound of fat. The man will be gaining some proportion of muscle and some proportion of fat. So in a, But then again, I don't think they would both be gaining one pound a week. I do think the woman is, pro, woman is probably gaining a larger proportion, although the paper you sent me, which I had read before, Eric Trexler was on it, and he's another good guy in the yeah. industry. He and I talked about that, right? Because what's what's one of the most prevailing, dumbest myths about what happened after a contest? Yoked. Rebound. Gaining all that muscle, baby. Diet anabolic rebound. That that is just the time you can gain muscle. And it is dumb as hell. Every hormone in your body, hi doggo, is completely against that. And what's happening is people are getting glycogen in water and filling out for the first, they're, lo- they're losing all the non-muscle lean and maybe some of the muscle they lost, but even that's not really optimal. So what this paper look did is they tracked contest dieters like a week, two weeks, and eight weeks after. And in the first week, it was mostly glycogen in water. And we gained fat so fast. Like two weeks to four, it was literally, maybe even two weeks to eight, it was literally like 100% body fat gain because you are not regaining muscle or even gaining muscle. You're not certainly, because everyone, they say that, you go, okay, where'd you end up after the diet? Same place I started. Right, you didn't, reg- you didn't gain any new muscle. You didn't end up bigger than you were. That's not what that means. You regained what you had lost, assuming you came out of the diet, which again, in the same way that dieting down is proper resistance, training and sufficient protein, that's the key coming out of it. Now, that's a problem because you're burnt, you're exhausted. Being able to train intensely may be a problem and may take a couple weeks as your calories come up. So, yeah, I do think maybe, but that's only the first couple. Guys are going to regain a bunch of lean body mass and certainly more than women. I don't know that it's going to be that significant, but certainly for the first couple of months, all the weight you're regaining is body fat because that's what the body is primed to do. Well, I had an idea too, and I don't know if they addressed it in the paper, but can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, 
you know, like for instance, males, a lot of times when they start dieting, it seems like they lose a lot of visceral fat. Like they don't look any different. Now yes. they can stuck in a vacuum. And I would assume post contest that they're measuring body fat in this study, I believe with calipers. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that they're not seeing that aspect of fat gain out of the diet. Absolutely. And that that's even, that is sort of, in, you know, in terms of like, fat patterning which we touch on briefly like when men start dieting especially if they're above like 15 percent you do you don't look any different but you feel leaner and that's because you're losing that deep gut suddenly you can suck your stomach in and do a vacuum and your stomach is narrower but you don't really look different women by and large don't carry that type of fat unless elevated testosterone levels whether naturally or unnaturally or if they're above 30% by women don't typically carry that type of fat. So yeah, I think you're right. They did use skin folds in that study, which is certainly far from optimal. I mean, uh, women, they lose five or 10 pounds and they got abs five weeks into their uh, contest prep, but their legs are fat as hell. <laughs> this is the, this is the irony of the world, right? Men will get ripped legs. What the biggest question I get on my foot's too, men, is there, is there a mis am I making a mistake? What, what, why do I still have, abdominal fat when I'm this lean and they go, well, your big problem is that you're a dude. And if women ask the same thing, I go, well, the biggest problem you're suffering facing is that you're female because that's what happens, right? Cause we do, we lose from the inside out and then from the top down. So women don't have a lot of, so what happens? Their face tends to get overly lean. Women will just have like shockingly, uh, veiny delts and pecs like or like just cross yep. striations and they're you know 18 percent body fat they will have a six pack at 16 percent that a man would kill for and at 15 percent, a dude will have like a three millimeter skin fold on his thighs and still not even have an ab much less abs women would kill for men's legs men would kill for women's abs and thus is the balance of the universe maintained. Because what happens in men, right, it's top down. But for them, top down stops at the midsection in general. There are men with a lower body fat patterning. and But for women, top down keeps going into the hips and thighs. And that gets into the whole stubborn fat thing. Um, so, yeah, but that yeah, I think that's a really good point about visceral fat regain. And, and maybe that's where DEXA comes in. Um, in terms of like, it would have been great. Like I get it. It's a, it's a funding thing, but skin folds never optimal for I don't think Dex is really great at measuring visceral fat either. I could be wrong on that. Um, it, it's but. interesting. And I know we've been talking forever, but this is, this is when you talk to me, if you notice that DEXA gives systematically higher body fat estimations than calipers. In normal, in normal people, for some reason in myself, it measures me like 6% lower than I actually am. <laughs> really? And that's, it's probably because of the assumptions about bone mineral density and things of that nature. But because that's the newest big chortling thing, right? You'll have guys go, ah, I'm 10%. And by old methods, visually they are, go, huh. Jeff Albers in contest shape is 9% by Dex. I'm like, you're comparing apples to oranges. He would be 4% by calipers. Dex is like 3 to 6% systematically higher for reasons. And I don't know why. I don't know if it is visceral fat, if it's measuring essential fat that calipers aren't, because that would be about the right difference, right? And then essential fats, three to, that would be pretty close. Something it's, you know, and my point is, don't compare values, right? If you're using one, just keep using it. And if you're using the other, just keep using it. Even for diet setup, 
it's not going to make a big difference. 5% either way, it's not going to be a big deal. But um, so, yeah, that that is, I think, another uh, complication to be sure. Um, An issue we noticed, too, we looked at the study briefly. I know I've, like, destroyed your day. Oh, um, not at all. But uh, one thing I, it seems like I, I don't like about Bill Campbell's post is uh, when I look at the study, it's reported as individual data. And right. in his post, he sort of lumped it together. And you can see one female in particular just uh -huh. gained so much more body fat than the other females. And it looks like percentage-wise, the other yeah. females gained a similar amount of body fat as the males. And that's just it. You're talking about when you start aggregating individual data. Like, I, I love it when papers actually show individual before and after and show you who it is in the charts because you're like, okay, great. If five people are basically this, and then you've just got this one freak show, which is frequently because, like, there's some early studies looking at, like, fat regain and calorie intake post-contest. Again, this was pros. It's insane. Like, finish their diet at 1,400 calories, and two weeks later, they're eating four, and this is women, 4,500. They're just gaining weight and body fat. It's such a, and of course, this comes from the days where, that was contest dieting. You ended up at 800 calories and two hours of cardio. And when you came out, and of course you were going off of your clan, your thyroid, your appetite suppressants, and people just blew. So yeah, all it takes is one crazy freak outlier to throw the average and draw really, really poor conclusions. Well, so, yeah. yeah. In this study, uh, it says F1 increased caloric intake by 97%. And we're going to pretend that everything was <laughs> tracked correctly and there was no sure. binging or snacking or stuff that didn't end up on the food log. <laughs> Ex yes, exactly. So, yeah, yeah that's just – that's the, the – the, so I, I do think there's a minor physiological – but, again, both women's and men's bodies at 5 and 10% respectively are just primed to gain body fat. Men will see – maybe more proportional lean body mass, but I'm just not seeing, like I said, the big difference. Men, I think, might get a little bit earlier muscle regain because they lost more. They might also get to it earlier simply because getting a man from 5 to 10%, where things at least start to normalize, happen a lot quicker than getting one from 10 to 20. So I could see it in that. In, in that. But again, women are gaining less absolute fat to get from 10 to 20%, right? A female continent, she may be dropping what? 20 total pounds of fat. Whereas he may be dropping probably a similar amount in absolute terms because he's bigger um, or, or what, I mean, actually a guy from 180 to 180 at 10% to 5%, hell, that's only 10 pounds of body fat. Most guys aren't starting at 10. No. Um, you know, a woman at whatever, 130 and 20% body fat, 26 pounds is dropping 13 pounds again, assuming she's starting there. So, so yeah, I think you, you know, what, what you really just start to see with all of this is like, yeah, there's like a 10% difference across the board in everything. And when you look at it, it's a body composition difference. Women carry about 10% less muscle at the elite limb, about 10% more fat and yeah, it kind of works itself out. Um, but like, you know, to get to sort of sum that up, yes, in the sense of, the woman might be more psychologically, I hate to say traumatized, but then again, let's consider males. <laughs> let's consider everyone who's dieted to single digits. Getting fat again sucks. 
I've repeatedly told, like, I've warned people because I did it. It screws it screws with your head for the rest of your life. Once you've been seven eight percent body fat, even once at twelve percent, which is very low average for a male, you just look at yourself and go, "I'm a slob." <laughs> and I think for women, more even more so than men, there is a very real possibility. Like I, like I get it. Oh, do a contest, you'll learn more about yourself and this and that and the other. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. And what you may do is. You know, as Eric Helms once put it, and this is a cheery note to end on, if you don't have, and same thing, and this goes uh, for men too, if you don't have an eating disorder when you start your contest diet, you'll probably have one when you're done. And he's not wrong. It will change your relationship with food and your appearance. So yeah, for a guy who's been 5% and just like the pinnacle of godlike whatever, who, of course, has been told that once he's at this level, women will throw themselves at his feet, and you go, yeah, hey, hey, no, they generally don't care. By the time they see you naked, they've already made their decision. But B, even if they did, you couldn't get an erection. So <laughs> I made a really snarky meme years ago, and as a guy is like 8%, and I go, guys to 8% to get women. Penis doesn't work. And that's, <laughs> this is my fitspiration, approach to fitspiration. So yeah, for guys just like, oh my God, I think it's a 10%, they'll be, I got to diet again, I'm getting fat. It's like, no, 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 just, you're, you're fine. So yeah, I think it can cut both ways, but certainly women are, are far more prone to um, those sorts of, of concerns. Well, like coaches all be part-time therapists. <laughs> Oh, oh, certainly. Yeah. When I was still training, it was they were the bartenders of the '90s. Um, it was absolutely more more therapy, more hearing them complain about their friends and their relationships. And well, you've you've never had fun till you train a group of people that all know each other and pretend to be friendly, and you hear all the realities of who doesn't like who. That was a lot of fun for me. I think uh, with guys and girls too, like I feel like a guy sometimes when they get fat post-contest or post-diet, they're just like, fuck it, I'm getting huge, whatever. True. And then girls are like, I'm going to try to get back on diet and they have like three or four days of a deficit and then they fuck it up and then they add yeah. a bunch of cardio and then they fuck it up every few days. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that. Certainly for guys, just like going to get big and strong because, you know, if you want to just perma bulk to speed tell people you're an off-season power lifter for the rest of your life gotta get big, big you know fat builds muscle man gotta get big and strong i mean it's true weight moves weight it's, i tell people that all the time i'm like fat is the source of strength and it's absolutely true um or you can like, just like, eh, i'm a coach it's okay well oh no i've been i've been where i got and i'm an american coach damn it i don't trust <laughs> i don't trust a skinny coach all this everyone's like oh these are these are american these are soccer coaches and they're all skinny i'm like yeah you know what show me a big 300 pound football head coach that's a coach right <laughs> what's the old joke a personal trainer is the fit person training the fat person and a coach is the fat person training the fit person and that is now that i'm just training uh, my power, female power lifter like that is my goal if i don't have a big old power i just need a power gut and a whistle and that's what makes me a coach but yeah i think you're absolutely right that for men it's much easier to just get big and bulky and women are probably the, like fuck yeah i'm fat fuck you you know like <laughs> yeah my squat went up 100 pounds 
Now you can be in an exercise science study because you can squat 225. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Perfect spot to wrap oh, us up. God. Lyle, let the people know where they can find you, buy some of your books, read some of your articles, yeah. all that. Um, so all my articles are on my website at the aforementioned bodyrecomposition.com. I've been around, I, I think it's been in existence for like almost 20 years now. Um, my books are at store.bodyrecomposition.com. Uh, I also, just because I should mention it, I'm now offering uh, Zoom consults after many years of not uh, for various reasons of my own. Um, my Facebook group is bodyrecomposition.com. That's really the best place to find me. I'm on it daily. We've got a lot of traffic. And something I always like to mention is the nature of who I am is I tend to attract experts in their own fields um, who are very evidence-based, very fact-based. I mean, there's we got a lot of goofy too, but that's just the nature of the internet. I've got four or five top-notch physios. I've got a top-notch OBGYN. Uh, one of my physios actually is a physician who does like orthopedic surgery. Uh, any, it boggles my mind. Any question that's ever been asked, because I'm somewhat of a generalist and I have my areas and I know a little bit about a lot, but if I can't answer it, I'll be damned if four or five people either are a medical expert in it or have experienced it and are an expert in it. I learn from these folks every single day. Probably this is just the most ex uh, the, the most recent example, just because it, it's also it's women related and it's pretty intense. So listen at your own risk. Uh, someone emailed me and said, "I've got a client. She had a very traumatic childbirth, or something knows of that. Something happened, and they had to go in and do like major vaginal surgery, like major. And she wanted to know, you know, when can I go back to training?" And A, there were like four people who were like, okay, I had that, don't do it. Because if you rip out the stitches, it never heals. And I'll be damned if someone that has never posted before in my group was like, oh yeah, I'm basically a pelvic floor specialist. Kicked in and was like, seen these surgeries before? I'm just like, my group is ridiculous. Like I've never seen this person post and I'll be damned. So, and I also do want to mention very specifically, there's a guy named Trevor Bunch who's in my group. He runs a website called The Fit Bunch, and he's actually, he's a double below the knee amputee who does adapted exercise for others. And it, it's not so much, and I, I've actually, I know there's a number of individuals in my group that have various physical disabilities or amputations. I, he puts up a lot of really good information in his group about how individuals with amputations basically adapted exercise or adaptive exercise things they need to worry about and issues they need to address when you don't have lower limbs and i don't know if he deals with upper body amputations but it's not something that i would probably ever use in my own training or coaching however reading it just made me think about things very differently it's just like, it, one of those things like you don't consider it. I remember a guy at a gym I belonged to years ago and he had an above the elbow amputation. Dude was jacked. Like he had a great physique. And I watched him do crossovers. And he had one cable handle and he'd made a strap that went here. And presumably he adjusted the weight for the difference in levers. I, I was just like blown away. Cause it, of course it would never occur to me. But you know, and you, I, there's another guy in my group who had a, another, and he's a power lifter. He has... So here's like the stub of his upper arm. He's got a gripper like a, a, that attaches and then has his, and I go, and he's dead looking like 600 pounds. Like, doesn't that hurt? He goes, oh yeah, it's excruciating. 
because it feels like it's going to basically rip the skin. I'm like, man, I'm going to stop complaining that my ankle hurts <laughs> because God almighty. But anyway, so I do, I do like to mention Trevor Bunch specifically in the Fit Bunch. I think his website or his, his Facebook group needs to get more love. Um, so yeah, so bodyrecomposition.com is my group. I've got a personal wall. I have an Instagram, mainly bad dad jokes. Uh, I don't really use that for, I seriously go, go watch it. It's just I'm putting up it. <laughs> stupid jokes and occasionally I'll share content, but, um, yeah, I don't put up a whole lot useful on there. Cause I just, I'm old. I can't be bothered. And no, I don't have a TikTok. Um, <laughs> I was on Twitter for three days, but man, if you think the Facebook comment section is bad, I found Twitter intolerable. He definitely I, has an only fans. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to you. Yeah, you got to email me especially for that. Yeah, definitely have an OnlyFans. Right. That's and that's perfect. it. On Salt that's you can find more. Awesome, Lyle. Thanks for coming on. We Thank appreciate you having you. Hopefully all we right. can uh, hopefully we can bring you and Broderick on and you guys can bicker back and forth about all your differences. Cool, and we can basically both talk smack about Paul. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Sounds good, guys. All right, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks day. for watching. Thank you.